Thanks for listening to the Cornerstone Chapel Middle School Podcast. Let's head into the service for this week's message. Turner is in the main service today preaching for Pastor Gary, which is awesome. Uh, He invited me to speak, so I'm going to uh, do our lesson today. Uh, Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. Right after Proverbs and before Song of Solomon. All right, guys, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, we're going to go through verses 1 through 7. So follow along, please. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near and listen rather than offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know what they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. As a dream comes when there are many cares, so the speech of a fool when there are many words. When you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you to sin. And do not protest protest to the temple messenger. Your vow was a mistake. Why shall God be angry at at what you say? And destroy the work of your hands. Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore stand in awe of God. Let's begin today with prayer, guys. God, we love you. God, you are incredible. And I hope that we see that, Lord. I hope we listen to you as you bring this message to us. And I hope that we learn from it and apply it to our lives. Uh, might you be with us this week as we uh, finish out uh, maybe what be, could be school before Thanksgiving break. And um, pray you just bless that, Lord. Uh, in your name we pray. Amen. Have you ever gotten those words of wisdom from your parents? You know what I'm talking about. Those really weird sayings that they say that make no sense, but they say them anyway. For example, shh. For example... Um, my mom, when I get dressed, will sometimes say, Barrett, don't dress like a ragamuffin. I don't know what a ragamuffin is, but apparently I'm not supposed to dress like a ragamuffin. That's great advice. Um, another example, uh, I'll be mowing the lawn, and my mom will go, hey, Barrett, don't lose a finger. Thanks, Mom. Great idea. I should not lose my finger when I'm mowing the lawn. Another bit of advice, um, I'll be on like a huge cliff and I'll kind of be hanging onto a bar looking over like 200 foot drop. Mom will go, hey, Barrett, don't fall. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. Real cool. Don't fall. I love that advice. Words of wisdom right going on right there. My father gives me this advice. Um, Son, do not burp in front of a pretty woman. It's just a word of wisdom my father bestows upon me and then I try and live it out and go on from there. You know, just helpful little advice that parents give you. Well, here in the book of Ecclesiastes, one of the kings of Israel, Solomon, is giving words of wisdom, words of advice to his children and to future generations. He's kind of giving little nuggets of helpful tips or words of wisdom that before God are are helpful and good. Uh, And he starts off when he has three little tidbits of um, advice. He says to listen to God. To be, don't be quick when you speak. 
and be careful when you make a promise to God. Those three things. And we're going we're to look at those three things. And then he ends with saying that we should stand in awe of God. So we're going to start. Uh, and he, Solomon begins in verse 1 of chapter 5. And he says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. And go near to listen rather than to offer sacrifice. So he says to listen to God. When I hear this, I get a little bit scared. Because I am a horrible listener. Take it back. I am a dreadfully horrible, pathetic listener. My mom will say something, and it will go right out the other ear. My math teacher will begin talking, and I will just zone out and pretend I'm asleep. I can sleep with my eyes open when a math teacher is talking. I think an example of how horrible I am at listening, or hearing what my parents say, um, would be this, this sadly true story. Um, it was a Saturday. My brothers and I and my dad are on the couch, and we're watching, you know, college football. No big deal. We're kind of enjoying that, and that's going on. We're watching the game. And my mom comes in, and she goes, all right, boys, got a project for you. Projects are never fun. Don't, that's totally overrated. So my mom comes in and goes, all right, guys, I got a project for you. Here's what we're going to do. You're going to go to Home Depot. You're going to get the espresso brown mulch, like 45 bags of it, and spread it all over the lawn. What we heard was, or she goes, all right, so take care of that, and I'll be back in like three hours. Take care of it. She leaves, and my dad goes, what did she say? And I'm like, I don't know. It had something to do with mulch. And Cabot goes, something to do with Home Depot, something to do with spreading the yard. So we're like, all right, we'll combine the little bit we heard into go get mulch from Home Depot, put it on the lawn. Easy enough, right? You know, we're smart guys. We can do it. So we go to Home Depot. By the way, my brothers are sitting back there in the back. They know what's going on. Yeah. So we're, we're sit, we go to Home Depot, the four of us. And we load up our car to the brim. We're like, all right, mulch. Um, that's mulch. It says mulch on the tag. We'll just grab that, you know? So we pack our car full of 45 bags to the brim with mulch. And we get back and we go, you know what? We're going to finish before my mom even gets back. Just because we're that good of sons, you know, and husband. So we unload the entire car of mulch. And we spread this stuff everywhere. I mean, we cover every inch of the yard. We lay the mulch out. It is beautiful. Just in this little duck. Surround all the flowers, the trees, perfect little mulch, you know. It's great. So my mom comes back, and we see her kind of driving in. And you know how you can see someone in a car, and they're saying something, but you can't hear them? Because it's like, the, you can see the, the window what they're doing. So mom's driving back, and we can see her, and we wave, hey, mom. She goes, hey. And then she sees the yard and goes. <laughs> She's just screaming, and we're like, that can't be good. I bet she is. It doesn't look like a happy scream right going on right there. It does not look good. So screaming, she opens the door and goes, what are you boys doing? I'm like, what you said? And she goes, no. We look at the bags. We accidentally got black mulch. It looks the color of the pavement on the road. And it is everywhere. It looks like we paved our, like all our flower bushes in like asphalt and put it all over the ground. It looks horrible. She goes, I wanted brown espresso and you put it all on there. So for the next four hours, we were scooping up all the bad mulch, throwing it in the woods, had to go back to Home Depot, get more, and then come back and spread it again. Horrible. Horrible example of why listening is really important and why I'm really bad at it. But it's amazing. Um, Here Solomon is saying, listen, not to your mother, although you should do that too. That's in the Bible too. He's saying here specifically, listen to God. 
listen to what God is saying. Now, I know what you're thinking. Barrett, God doesn't audibly speak to me all the time. It's not like I'm just sitting in bed and all of a sudden, uh, go up and go down to the ba- basement and do the dishes. It doesn't usually happen. But think about this. God is talking to us in different ways. He's doing it right now. What you hear on Sunday when the, when the pastor comes up and he speaks and he opens up the word of God and teaches, that's God speaking to us. Whether we see it or not, that's God talking to us. Or how about this? When something's going on and we know in our heart it's wrong, we know in our heart we should do something, that's God speaking to our heart and, and telling us what we should do. And it's our conscience within us. How about this one? This is a big one. That book you're holding, the Bible, that's God speaking to you. Every time you open that up and you look at that and you read it, it's God saying something to you. The question is, are we listening? Are we listening to what is being told to us? And not only are we hearing what God's saying, because hearing is one thing, to physically hear what is being said, but we actually have to do what we're hearing. We have to obey. So listening isn't just hearing what we're supposed to do. It's actually doing what we're supposed to do. It's obeying. That's truly listening. If your teacher assigns a homework assignment and says, all right, 300 math problems by the end of the week, you can hear what she says, but it definitely doesn't mean you actually have to do it. To actually hear and do it is to listen, to actively go through with what has been told to you to do. So listening is a a two-step process in that way. And it seems obvious. It's like, okay, well, God tells me something, and I do it. It seems pretty easy. But I think if we really look at our lives, we need to ask, how much are we listening? How much are we listening to what God's saying or hearing what God's saying? And then how much are we doing it? God's speaking to us. We know that. Are we listening? Are we obeying? The next thing Solomon says is this. He says, don't be quick to speak. He says in verse 2 and 3, he says this. Do not be quick with your mouth. and Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. It's amazing. A major reason why people don't listen is because they're too busy talking. If you're talking, someone else is not able to talk and you're not able to listen to what they're saying. I'm going to um, pick on someone randomly in the room. Um, she's someone who's related to me, a girl, and in the youth group. I'm not going to point out anyone in the room. Millicent, my sister right there. Anyway, she'll be talking to one of her friends, one-on-one, and they'll be going along talking. And it's incredible to listen to. It's kind of like almost impressive but sad at the same time because she will talk so fast and so long and so loud about something. It's incredible. She'll be like, did you see Becky's nail the other day in the dress you wore? Just going and going and going and going. And then something incredible happens. She has to breathe. She's talking so long and so much about so much that she actually has to take a breath in between words. Okay, fine. So she'll go. What happened is I've noticed a pattern. She'll go. And she'll start talking. She'll go, you didn't see this the other day. I would feel like this. And then And then she'll go. She'll take a breath. And right in that moment, her friend sees the vulnerability. She's like, ha ha, you came up for air. And the other one comes in and goes, well, guess what happened the other day? And then just goes. So it's like they take turns about who can talk longer without having to take a breath. So it's like, it doesn't actually sound like that. She's not a dolphin, but 
You get the picture. They literally have to take a breath in between talking. And in that moment of vulnerability, the other friend goes, aha, gotcha. And then she starts talking. And they go back and forth and back and forth. And they talk so much. And I'm not saying my sister's a bad listener. I know she is. But what I'm saying is this. When you're talking so much and so quickly and you're not focusing on what they have to say, you're not listening. And Solomon is saying, look, don't be so quick to talk. If you want to listen, then you have to sometimes be quiet. Let's say you had an hour and you could meet with anyone in the world. Anyone in history, let's say. I'm a dork. I'd probably pick George Washington. I know, it's dorky, whatever, laugh at me. I'd pick George Washington to talk to for an hour. So let's say I get in this time machine, they take me back, George Washington, I'm in Starbucks, George Washington. It's like, dude, what is up? Big fan of the whole America thing. Declaration of Independence and all that, that's awesome. Good work, George. So it's like, all right, you guys have one hour to talk, go. And let's say I just talk. I just go. Well, my name is Barrett Phillips. I'm from Leesburg, Virginia. I'm really into Dallas Cowboys, best football team ever. And I just go off on my life, okay? And I talk for an hour continually. I mean, I just fly. But let's say I talk for the hour straight, and George doesn't even open his mouth and say a word. I just spent an hour with first president of the United States, and I didn't even ask him a question. I didn't even listen to what he had to say because I was too busy talking about myself then I missed what he was going to tell me. I didn't care enough about him to ask him how he's doing or, or ask him what's going on with him because I was too concerned with myself. So what happens is when we speak and we don't listen, we're showing that we care about ourselves more than someone else. If you don't love someone enough to say, all right, I care about what you have to say, go ahead and talk. That's sad. It means we care about what we have to say and we think what we have to say is more important than what they have to say. And we kind of push them aside. To show God that we're truly listening and we care about him, what we have to do is sometimes we have to stop speaking and listen. Sometimes we have to take our words and make them few so we can actually let him talk. So we can let him speak into our lives. It sounds obvious, but are we doing it? So Solomon's advice in a more modern way, is shut up and listen. Pretty simple advice. But Solomon also says another reason we should speak less or shouldn't talk so much is because we need to recognize who we're talking to. When you're going to talk to someone, it's important to see who it is you're talking to and then make sure you're talking to them in an appropriate way. For example, you see your school teacher. Maybe she's like Miss 75-year-old, Mrs. Brunswick, okay? And you walk up to her and it's after class. You go, what's up, Miss Brunswick? What's going on, home skillet? How you doing? Cool. Yeah, righteous. Yeah. So I failed that test the other day. Probably not good, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely not how you want to talk to your teacher. Probably not an appropriate way to talk to her. Might get you in trouble. Flip that. Let's say you see your friend on the street and you walk up to him and you go, Hi, pleasure to see you today. How are you? Oh, that's just dandy. Aren't the weather nice today? And you introduce yourself to them. It's like, do you even know who you're talking to? Like, we know each other, dude. We're like home skillets. Why are you talking to me like that? It's kind of weird. It's kind of formal. It's kind of weird. Why would you do that? What you have to do is before you talk to someone, you take into account, all right, who is this? What do I know about them? Who are they and how do I relate to them? 
So before we talk to God, before we just jump into speaking to him, what we need to do, what Solomon says is, look, God is in heaven and you're on earth. So let your words be few. He's saying this, look, you're talking to the God of everything. He lives in heaven. He holds the world in his hand. That's not just a song he sings. Picture it this way. Just kind of put it in perspective as to who you are before God. You live in Leesburg, Virginia. You live in the United States of America. Then you live in the continent of North America. Then you live on a planet called Earth. That planet is in a solar system, okay? That solar system is in the Milky Way. The Milky Way is part of the universe. That whole universe, God's kind of just like holding and chilling and looking at in his hand. That's how big you are compared to God. And Solomon's saying, when you pray to God, when you talk to God, realize who you're talking to. You're talking to the God who made everything. The God who is big and powerful and mighty and holds the world in his hand. So when we see that, I think we should be quieter and let God do some more talking than us. I think we should respect him when we pray. I'm not saying be like, ungenuine and speaking like old English or something when you pray to him. What I'm saying is we should therefore be respectful though. Listen to what he, what he has to say. Because obviously he's important and great and mighty and we should take that into account when we talk to him. Just like we take into account when we talk to our friend or a teacher. So Solomon is saying here, look, don't talk so much. Listen to other people and, and take into account who you're talking to. You're talking to God. Sama is saying, don't talk so much before God and take into account who you're talking to. And then the third thing Solomon gives us, the third bit of advice is he says this. He says, don't make promises you don't mean. Don't make promises you don't intend to keep. In verses uh, four, he says this. He says, when you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools fulfilling your vows. It is better that you not vow then you make a vow and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you to sin. In case you didn't know, a, a vow is like a promise. It's like a, a commitment you used to make. Back in the Old Testament, they used to have a lot of different ways for making promises or different vows to one another. One was they would have two bags of salt. And you make a person, you make a deal with them. And what you do is you take a little bit out of your salt bag, of your salt, and you put it in their bag. And they take a little bit out of theirs and put it in yours. And they'd say, all right, the only way we can get out of this deal, this promise is made until you can separate your salt from my salt. I'm not going to lie, pretty weird. But it's what they would do. It's the commitment they would make. We will sign contracts today, we'll shake hands and make a promise. But it's amazing how sometimes we'll make promises and we don't really mean them that much. We'll make a promise and we'll kind of get caught up in the emotion or what's happening in a situation and we won't think about what we're actually saying. I think the worst example, probably the worst promise my, my brothers and sister and I ever made um, was one day six years ago. One day six years ago, we, we walked into a pet store. And we walked into this pet store. I know, boys, it's horrible. We walk into this pet store and we go to the back and we see this beautiful little puppy. Oh, it was so cute, guys. It was one pound, two ounces. Yeah. I, guys, thank you for not doing that. It means a lot. 
One pound, two ounces, okay? It was so fluffy and light that if you kind of picked it up and just kind of let it go, it would probably keep floating and just kind of float off into nothing. It was like a little powder ball rodent hamster that was apparently a dog, okay? And when it jumped around, it would kind of prance like this. All right, girls, you're you're freaking me out. Stop awing so much, okay? It would just like do this little prance thing when it went around. This dog was so cute. Weird. I know. I said it. Okay. And so we go to my mom. All, all, all of us go to my mom and we go, Mom, can we please have the dog? And she goes, I don't know. It's a big responsibility. And we go, Mom, we promise we'll bathe him every day. Maybe two times a day. And we'll clip his toenails and we'll clean up the stuff that happens when he eats, and we will take care of everything, Mom. We promise, like, just, if you let us have a dog, we will take care of it totally. And so then we went to puppy eye mode. So now my mom is looking at five puppy eyes. The dog, me, my two brothers, and my sister, okay? So we're just, Mom, please, make this promise. And my mom goes, all right, all right, finally we can get the dog. Within a year, we don't want to take out the dog. We now argue who has to take out the dog. He scratches on the door. We're like, oh, I don't want to take out this dog. You take it out. You bathe the dog. We argue over it. We bicker. And we made this promise to my mom. So now we have to keep it. And it's horrible for the past six years. And I do love my dog. And I'm not mean to it all the time. But, but because we made this promise now, we're stuck with this dog. And we have to take care of it. We always have to be with it and stuff. And because we made that commitment on how cute it was and its emotions, we weren't really realizing what we were saying. Now we're stuck with that commitment. Maybe it might be different for you. Maybe you go into a store and you see an iPad. And it's beautiful. Guys, you know what I'm talking about. Maybe girls do too. You go up to it and it's sitting on that iPod, Apple store and you hit the slide button and it goes, and you're like, ah. And then you just, you just, just this little thing where it's really, it's really easy. You just kind of swipe it. You just go, and it flips to another thing. And you're like, oh, look at that. Oh, it does it again. Well, look at that. And you click on Angry Birds, and you start flinging birds at people. And it's, it's awesome. It's really cool. And you find out you can do really weird things like auto-tune and just all these awesome apps. And you're just like, oh, this iPad is so cool. And you go, Hey, Mom, can we? And she cuts you off right. No, you cannot get that. I remember the dog thing. You're not getting the Apple iPad or whatever. And you, you try to make this promise like, Well, Mom, if you give me an iPad, I'll never ask for anything again. I won't eat for like a week, okay? Just let me have the iPad. You make these crazy promises because you want the iPad. It happened in the Bible too. People will make crazy promises that maybe they didn't really mean. In Joshua, we see where at the end of the book, all the nation of Israel comes together. And they come together, and and they all make this commitment before God. They say, God, we will follow you no matter what. God, we will always obey you. We see what you've done for us. We will follow after you. You go three chapters later into Judges chapter 2, and it says the Israelites were doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. In just a short time, a couple years, Israel wasn't even obeying God. The thing they had promised to do. We see uh, in the New Testament when Peter said to Jesus, Jesus, I will follow you no matter what. I would die for you if I had to. I love you. I'll do anything for you. And then a few chapters later, or a few verses later, we see where Peter, 
he wouldn't even acknowledge that he knew Jesus. That promise he made, he's now broken already. And he didn't really mean it. And, and we laugh sometimes when we think it's funny, like, wow, how could you break that crazy promise or whatnot? But if you don't mind me getting personal, do we do the same thing with God? Do we make promises to God and not really think about what we're saying or mean? Or do, do we really kind of just throw them out there without thinking about them? I know I would do this. I'd go to camp and I'd get caught up in a real cool sermon and I'd get excited or there'd be really good worship and I'd be like, you know what? God, I'm going to read my Bible every day. And that would go for about a month or two. And then the world would hit and things would get busy and I wouldn't be doing that. I wouldn't have my talk every day. I wouldn't pray every day like I promised. How about this? I get real caught up in a sermon and somebody maybe forgives me outside of school and and I'm like, you know what? Forgiveness is important. I'm going to forgive everybody, no matter what they do to me. Make this big, brash, pro- whoa. big, huge promise to God. I'm, you know, I'm going to forgive everyone, God. And my question is, do we keep that? Do we really? I see it when we sing these songs. We sing, God, be my everything. You are everything to me, God. God, you give and take away. My heart will choose to say, blessed be your name. If God really took away everything, would, would we bless his name? When we sing those words in that song, do we mean that? It's kind of a, almost a promise or a declaration of God, but my question is, do we say that out of emotion or out of a moment? Or, or do, we, do we really mean that? Is it really something we mean when we make that promise? You don't get married on a whim. Marriage is a huge commitment. And when you say, I'm going to live with this person for the rest of my life, I will love this person forever. When you say, I do at the altar, you should mean it. And what happens is, what say you meet someone and maybe the first day you meet him, like, you know what, let's get married. So you go on up to the chapel, going to get married. Okay, no one knows that song, just me. And you know that song, going to the chapel, going to get, all right, I'll stop singing. It's not a concert. So let's say you meet someone, you're like, you know what, they're really fun, they're cool. I like this, this is fun, I'm having fun today. Let's just go get married. Whatever. So you go, get married, have some fun. Next day you realize, what, it, what just happened? Like, I just committed for the rest of my life to be this person. Do I even know them? Do I, did I really think that through? Like, what was my commitment even based on? When you really do get married. What you should do is you should know the person you're marrying. You should over, over weeks and months and years even get to know them and then out of love, out of knowing them, say, hey, I know you so well. I know everything about you and I, and I love you so much and therefore I want to make this commitment to you that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with you. I want to make this commitment because I know how great you are and I enjoy you so much and love you. I'm going to make this commitment to you that I'll love you the rest of my life. And it's not something you just jump into, that commitment. It's something you do out of, out of really an understanding of that person and, and a love for them. And when we make promises to God, we should mean them. When we make promises to God, it, it shouldn't just be something we do out of obligation or out of just a, a moment or, or an emotion. I'm sorry, guys. It shouldn't be something we do out of a, a moment or 
an obligation, but it'd be something we do because we recognize, God, you're awesome, and you're great, and I know you, and therefore I, I want to do this. I want to make this commitment to you. So Solomon says that. He says, don't make promises that you don't mean to keep. And he makes these three points, and then he ends with this. He ends with these six words. He says, therefore, stand in awe of God. Therefore, stand in awe of God. And what does that mean? What, what does it mean to, to stand in awe of God? Well, the word awe means this. And I actually, I looked it up and it says, an overwhelming feeling of reverence and adoration produced by that which is great, grand, sublime, or extremely powerful. In other words, when you see something that is incredible, something that is powerful or or beautiful, breathtaking, or mighty, you kind of respect it. You admire that. You take a reverence in that. It's kind of like having your breath taken away. Like you see something incredible and you just, it's kind of, it takes your breath away. Uh, I went with some friends and we, uh, we hiked this mountain called Old Rag Mountain and we hiked it at night. So my friends got headlamps and they had like their flashlights and I was pretty stupid, and I brought my flashlight and didn't check the battery, so it went out, so I had to hike the entire mountain without a flashlight. So I'm following after my friend the whole way up. But after a few hours, we get to the top of this mountain, and you can't really see much than a few feet in front of you the whole way up. And then you get there, and you kind of wait um, through the night. We stayed up there all night. And, and then around like 5 o'clock in the morning, like 5.30, it happens. You, you kind of start to see this light coming from the sky kind of from one side, and and as you watch, you literally see the sun come up, and you can see it just cover the entire valley. And every mountain on every side of you begins illuminated by this light, and you're just amazed by it. It's like Lion King, like, and just rises up from the mountains. And it's it's incredible to watch, absolutely incredible. And guys, I'm going to get a little bit weird and mushy and emotional. Handle it, okay? Us girls are just talking over here. I go and I see the sunset and I just, it's so, I mean, use the word beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful. And, and it comes up and literally it absolutely takes your breath away. You just, you just kind of lose your breath and you go, wow, look how beautiful that is. Look how incredible that is. That sun that comes up and gives warmth to the whole world. That is, that's incredible. That's powerful. And it, and it takes your breath, whoa, it takes your breath away. And you, you admire that and you revere that. Like, wow, I can't believe that. That's incredible to see. And you're, you're amazed by that and taken aback by it. And what Solomon is saying here, he's saying this. I'm sorry, guys. He's saying, stand in awe of God. When you see God, when you look at him, just be amazed at him. See how powerful he is. And like he talked about, this is the God who holds the universe in his hands. This is the God who every person in this room, he created them. He made every person in this room and he knows them. He knows, the example is, he knows every hair on our head. He numbers our hair. That's incredible. He literally knows everything that's going on at the same time. And he is everywhere at the same place. When we hear that, we should be amazed at that. That shouldn't just be something we hear. That should be something that we, we hear and we go, wow, that is incredible to, know, to even know. We should even 
be amazed at his love for us. And not only did he create us, but he sent his son Jesus to die for us. To literally to die for us. He loved us that much that he gave his son Jesus for us. That should amaze us. That should make us take back and, and stand in awe of who he is. Wow, look, look at that God who, who sits on a throne in heaven above all things. And he loves me. And he sent his son to die for me. We should see that God and just, man, our breath should be taken away by that. We should be in awe of that. And when we stand in awe of God, and when we see how great he is, when we recognize, wow, this God is incredible. This God is all powerful and knowledge and everything. When we see how great he is, this should make us listen to God and obey him. When God speaks because of how great he is, because we stand in awe of him, we should listen when he speaks to us. And not only listen, but we should obey him. When we see how great God is, and when we stand in awe before him and all that he has done, this should make us just absolutely shut up and listen to him. This should make us keep our words few and just say, God, you know what? I'm going to stop telling you what to do. You start telling me what to do. I'm going to start speaking to you so much. How about, how about now you speak to me? When we see how great God is and how incredible he is, this should help us to make promises. Promises not based on emotion or a situation or what's going on, but promises based on how great God is. We should look to God and say, God, I see how incredible you are. I see everything that you did for me. And because of that, God, I want to give my life to you. Be my everything, God, because I know how incredible you are. We can say things like, God, I want to worship you every day. I want to read my Bible every day. Help me to do that. And we can say that and mean it because we know how great our God is. You see, once we have an understanding of how incredible God is, following Him, listening to Him, it's pretty easy. Let's pray.